Good morning, Connection. So, be a trader. Two weeks ago, I started talking about James and, and troubles and what it gets to the root of. Will you be willing to trade our natural response of worry and lack of trust in these situations for this opportunity of great joy. And since the, uh, the sermon didn't get recorded properly, which, you know, accidents happen and whatnot, we're going to go ahead and review a little bit. So that way, those who either didn't hear it or have, you know, forgotten, which is understandable, it's two weeks ago, they'll get a chance to get caught up and then we'll move on from there. So there are five... Five steps that James outlines for those troubling times. One is a joyful attitude. The second, an understanding mind. The third is a submissive will. And the two that we're going to get to today, a believing heart and a humble spirit. James 1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, When troubles come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. This is the joyful attitude. This is, we realize when troubles come, mean they're going to happen. You can't avoid it, nor should you seek it out. It's just going to happen. And in those troubling times, God says they're an opportunity for great joy. And it's counterintuitive to what we think you know, troubles, we should worry, we should, you know, not have faith, we should do everything possible to try to avoid it. But he says it's an opportunity for great joy. The understanding mind in James 1, 2, or 1, 3, sorry, says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. The you know, the for you know, is a, you know this already from your experiences, but I'm going to tell you this anyway. It's kind of stating the obvious in James' mind. The tested, when your faith is tested, is a refiner's test. It is the test that they would use to purify a metal. If, if you wanted a pure block of iron, then it, ha- it would have to be refined from a less valuable, not as strong piece of iron. And so we can have great joy in these opportunities of trouble because God is using it to refine us. And the endurance is not a passive, you know, I'm going to sit here and be able to just wait it out type of endurance. It is taking that trial and turning it into a triumph. You know, you are going from an oppressed point of view to a dominant point of view, to a superior on top of whatever is going on. You, you can handle it. And God wants us to have that. In verse 4, it says, So let it grow. For your endurance, for when your endurance is fully developed, 
you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. This is a submissive will because we have to cooperate with God. Whenever he is wanting us to have this chance to grow, he says, let it grow. He says, when your endurance is fully developed, then you will be fully developed. You will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. You will be mature. That's what the perfect means. You will be complete, meaning you will be a whole person. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Galatians 5.21. No, I got that one. I was having trouble with it two weeks ago. So, all of those things will be in you when your endurance is fully developed. That's what that complete means. You will need nothing. And that's just re-emphasizing the three, you know, the two points before it. Perfect, complete, needing nothing. You'll be mature and complete. So, now, since that review's over, we're going to get into the newest part. A believing heart. For all of that to happen, we have to believe. We have to have faith. And this, there's kind of a, like a slight break in James' thinking right here. So it's not necessarily this wisdom that we're going to talk about is only necessary during times of troubles. This believing heart is required by us in all ways of life. Whether we're in a troubling time, whether we are in a good time, whether we're in a bad time, James is going to get to that. And if you don't know where James is, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles, it is right after Hebrews in the New Testament. Hebrews is only about 12 chapters long, so you can pass it up pretty easy. Um, There's in the back, if you want to fan forward, Revelation, Jude, second, then first Peter, if you're going from the back forward, and then it goes to John first, or no, it is John first, and then Peter. So, you know, if you want to fan from the back, it's closer to the back than it is the front. But we're going to talk about today, James 1, 5 through 12. The believing heart described in 5 and 6, the first part of 6, says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask, be sure that your faith is in God alone. It's interesting that he says we should ask for wisdom. You know, common sense would say, oh, you need to, you need to ask for strength in this time. You, you should ask for peace or grace or you should ask for deliverance. You should ask that God take it away from you. But to understand why we need wisdom, we really have to have a grasp on the first verses that we just covered, why these troubling times are so important. You know, our joyful attitude then 
flows into a fully developed endurance, which in turn creates a mature and complete person. So once we have that, then we need to understand what wisdom is. This wisdom is God's insight into how life should you know, manifest itself if you're in God's will. So it's not, here is the plan for your life, you know, all plotted out. I've got bullets for you, major events, and then a dash for minor events in between. And it's not a, not a, I'm going to tell you exactly which to pick. You know, I had a friend who was praying about which college he he should go to. And it's not so much that God wants everybody to go to, you know, Eastern or U of I or Duke or whatever. It is, in his mind, that we will take what we know is his and apply it to our life and live it out wherever we go. It's not he's going to tell us to buy a Hyundai or a Ford. It's how are you going to drive that car? How are you going to parent your kids? How are you going to treat your spouse? So it's not necessarily he's going to tell you who to marry. It's just how are you going to treat the one that you are married to? And that is his wisdom. And it's also interesting because strength, a human can muster up his own strength or her own strength. You know, we can, we can create our own peace. It's not going to be as good as God's peace, but we can still try to be peaceful ourselves. An unwise person can never be a wise person, though. You can never just muster up wisdom if you have no wisdom. So he tells us to ask for wisdom because apart from God, we cannot have wisdom. Apart from God, we can have strength or we can have grace, but we cannot have wisdom. He says, ask our generous God. And this ask is just like the opportunity for great joy. It's not, you know... James' really good suggestion for the Christian. It is a divine commandment. Just like he commands us to have great joy, he commands us to ask. And the asking suggests, in the, in the original Greek, it suggests that we not only ask once, but we continue to ask. It's an ongoing, continual asking. Because we all know whenever you would ask somebody to do something the first time, then the chances of it happening, you know, they're okay. But the person who receives doesn't always notice it the first time. If we keep on asking, then that person's going to keep on giving and giving And you're going to notice it more. So you might get some wisdom in the beginning, but you need to keep asking to keep on receiving the wisdom. Because 
we can all use more wisdom. And it says God is generous. And then it also says he will not rebuke you. Those are two very important things. The generous is an unconditional, without bargaining, single-minded giving. It is... without a hidden agenda, like, you know, you know some people who give and then they expect something in return. You know, you're like, oh, well, I thought you were just going to help me out. And they're like, well, I helped you out, but now I'm kind of asking for that favor in return. You know, I need, I need something now. And, and that's not the generous that God is. And also, without bargaining... We've all been in the place where we're like, God, if you could just do this for me, then I promise I'm going to read the Bible more, or I'm going to go to Sunday school more often, or I'm going to, I'm going to stop doing this, God, if you will just do this one thing for me. You know, we don't need to do that because he gives generously without bargaining. And the rebuke, rebuke is, a, is an... Old test or is an old word that just kind of means reprimand or get on to you, and so God's not gonna get on to you because you didn't come to Him sooner, or you didn't do it the right way, and He won't belittle you for not having enough wisdom yourself, because God is like the best parent you could ever have. In Matthew 7, he talks of, Jesus gives an analogy um, between a parent with a, with a child who asks for a loaf of bread. And, and Jesus says, is that parent going to give him a snake instead? And then he goes on to say, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your kids then how much more will our perfect God give perfect gifts to his children? So, if we need wisdom, and we all do, we just need to come before God. And this is a very, very bold statement. It's encouraging us to come unashamedly to the God of heaven who created the universe to ask for wisdom because we are supposed to be an outgrowth of his character. He wants us to live the way Jesus lived. And so in order to do that, we need to ask our generous and unrebuking God for his advice into our lives. There's only one condition. And it's not even really a condition. It's just When you ask him, you have to ask him knowing that he will give. And that's what the first part of 6 says. But when you you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Because if your faith isn't in God alone, then it's also in something else. And if you can't trust God 
to give you the wisdom that you need in life. Do you really believe that you can trust God with your life? You know, do you honestly believe that Jesus is the one who died for you? If God can't give you wisdom, how can he give you life? So we need to ask with faith that God is who he says he is and that he has the power and also the desire to give those who need wisdom what they ask for. James 1, 6b through 8 says, Do not waver, for a person with, a divided, with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world. They are unstable in everything they do. That divided loyalty is the opposite of what God is. God gives singly, but this divided loyalty is a double-mindedness. In the, in the Greek, it's like you have two souls in one body. You are a walking civil war between trust and skepticism. There's such turmoil in someone who is divided that... God will not even grant you wisdom because you do not have faith in him. And I, and I said James would be blunt. It's because he is. We're not even halfway through the first chapter and he's already, you know, shoved it in our faces that, you know, if you doubt God or if you not doubt God, because we all will doubt God. But if you doubt God's goodness, his character, then are you really trusting God? If, if we do not have joy in these hard times, then do you really understand what Jesus did for you? It's a hard, it's a hard book. But if we apply this to our lives, then we will be traitors. We will be people who are looked at differently by the world. And they will wonder what it is that we're doing that is different. Because a person with a divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. And I wanted to talk about, you know, this time that I was at the ocean and the waves were crashing and the person who I was with lost her sunglasses and, and you know, the ocean doesn't care because it's just doing its own thing. But this isn't even like that. This is worse because it's not the waves that are crashing on the beach that it's talking about. It's talking about when you are in the middle of the sea and you look around and you can't see land when you look at the water, it never looks the same from moment to moment. Every single moment, it's changing. It is you know, being blown by the wind or catching the light differently. And it just never is the same. And the same is true 
for someone who has a divided loyalty. You know, you can talk to them today and they'll be like, oh, God is good. God, he showed me. But tomorrow, they're going to be like, the sky is falling, guys. What are, what, what's going on? Because I don't have a clue. And then Tuesday, they're like, you know, God's, God's working. I, I, I don't really know how, but he's working. And then Wednesday, it's like, you know, they're a totally different person again. And Thursday, it's a different person. And Friday, it's a different person. God doesn't want us to be a different person every day of the week. He wants us to be consistent. He wants us to have trust and, and consistently trust. Because such people, the ones that are tossed by the wind, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. If we consistently trust, God sees that and he consistently gives. But those who don't consistently trust, they should not expect anything from the Lord because their faith is divided. It says their faith is divided between God and the world. They are unstable in everything they do. That's the consequence of doubting God's character. And it, it's, a hard, it's a hard truth. But for those who are faithful, those are the ones who please God. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, says that without faith it is impossible to please God. So, if we have faith, God will give, and God will also be pleased in what we're doing. And that will be seen in our normal everyday life. James 1.9 is the humble spirit. So we've got the joyful attitude. We have the understanding mind. The believing heart. Nope. The submissive will. I forget that one. I'm not very submissive. I have to work on that. A believing heart. And now the humble spirit. And people often refer to this as the great reversal, because we're going to compare the rich and the poor and how it seems in God's eyes it is the opposite. James 1.9 says, Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And the honored is a positive rejoicing or glory. And so, James is saying that those who are poor should have something to boast about. They should be rejoicing and feeling like they are in glory. And if you don't think that's a great reversal, then you should probably study irony a little bit. Um, but the boast over the New Testament is a negative word. But in the Old Testament, it always talks about People boasting in what God is doing. It's not boasting that, you know, oh, I have more, or I am better. It's a boasting that God is working, that God is doing something. 
So believers who consider themselves financially poor, because that's the, that's the connotation that James gives, they have something to boast about because God has honored them. Because God considers them equal with Jesus. It is in the English Standard Version, says, for God has exalted them. God has elevated us in his mind to the same level as Jesus. All of his kids. So, those who think that they aren't deserving or think that the world is out to get them should trade that in for this exalted view of themselves, that God views them as important, that God views them as valuable, that they can have great joy. Even though financially it doesn't seem like they can do as much, God will give them wisdom all the same. God will allow them to have an understanding mind, will allow them to develop into this perfect and complete person all the same as the rich person. Verses 10 through 11 are where we talk about the rich person. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. In some translations, it even says, in their humiliation. And again, the great reversal at play. Why would a rich person boast in humiliation or in humbleness? Because in our eyes, the world's eyes, they are, they are the ones who are elevated. They're the ones, you know, they believed at one point in time that if you were rich, this is in American history, if you were rich, you had better genes than someone else, that you were somehow more of a human than a poor person was. So, in God's eyes, it's the complete opposite. The rich should boast, for God has humbled them. God has humbled them because all of those things that we hold on to, all of the, all the toys or all of the goods that we store up are eventually going to go away. And that our true security is only in God. So, that's a humble spirit. This is what God says that should be what humbles us. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot scorching sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. This, this area that James was in, you know, this is the Middle East. And so they really know what hot is 
Because not only is there the, the blazing sun, but it says when the sun rises. And the sun rises here, and we're like, oh man, this is great. I'm going to go do all my physical activity right now because it's going to be like 40 degrees hotter by you know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Lately, we've been having like 32 degrees at night, 82 in the morning, or 82 during the day. You know, in the desert, it's a lot worse than that. It's like 100 degree shifts. But it's still relatively cool in the morning. But he says that the flowers will wither in the morning because of this hot wind. This easterly wind that happens when the sun rises rushes through and just sucks the moisture out of everything. So, it's twofold. You get the heat of the sun, but also this scorching wind that comes through. And it's like that with the rich person. They believe so much in what they have that they lose faith in God. They think, I can handle it. You know, I'm, I'm secure in what I have. Whatever comes my way that they lose faith in God. But they have to understand that like the flowers, their wealth will fade. What happens to grass in the desert is it dies. And our riches and our false senses of security will all fade away. the last part of the verse says, in the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. Bank accounts, statuses, all of it. We can boast that God has humbled us, though, because we know our faith and security lies in him. And the poor believer can boast because God is, views them as being valuable. Now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't view rich people as valuable because he values all of his people. It's just the more you have, the more you get tied to the world. Later on in James, um, he will say that Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. In the same way, if we draw near to the world, the world is going to draw near to us. Because we cannot serve two masters. That is what we talked about in verse 8, the divided loyalty. So it all kind of culminates. This joyful attitude that we should have during troubles And this understanding mind. If we understand all of this, the submissive will, believing heart, and humble spirit, then we can overcome, we can triumph, develop our endurance in these times of trouble. And I would say that if I had a raise of hands, everyone in this room would think that there is at least one thing in their life stressing them out. Because... 
I don't really recall many times where I thought, man, everything is going exactly perfect. There's always a deadline. There's always someone annoying you, or there's always someone criticizing you. This is 100% applicable to every day. But it's up to us to think about the joys and to remember to ask for wisdom. The amount of times I've asked for wisdom in the last three weeks, four weeks, while preparing this stuff, you would think that I was asked to solve the puzzle of life or something. But this is what God wants. He wants us to continually ask because he will continually, continually give. We just have to have faith that he has the power and desire to give it. Verse 12 gives us the outcome of what it is like to be someone who has the endurance during life. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. It's like one of the Beatitudes when God says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be happy. Or blessed are those who are spiritually poor because they will be happy. You know, this is echoing Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to give to those who love him. And in this, we've got, we've got two things. One is, for those people who are motivated because of the calculated reward they are planning to get from God, you know, like, oh, I, I want to I believe in Jesus just because I want to go to heaven, just because I don't want to go to hell. They shall not be rewarded. Because it says afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And a relationship motivated by a reward is not love. But to those who love him, they will be promised this reward. And love is the ultimate motivation of everything that we should do. Love is the motivation behind why we should be joyful instead of self-pitying during times of trouble because we love God and he loves us. We should love God because he grants us the understanding mind in times of trouble. We should love God enough to be obedient to let his will be done in our lives. Because without love, there is not a relationship. It, it would be so sad to be in an eternal relationship with someone and not have love. And it's that love that Jesus had for everyone that made him come and die on the cross for us. That love that 
he spared his own body and poured his own blood that we could have this relationship with God, that we could come to God and ask for wisdom in the times that, you know, we can't tell which way is up. And we're going to take face down here in a, in a couple minutes, actually probably about a minute. And uh, if you guys want to come up, take your positions. Uh, the, the bread that we are going to take represents the body, and the blood represents the juice. And I want you to just think about either while you're eating it or before you eat it, to think about that love, to think about what this actually represents, that we are in this eternal relationship because of Jesus' love. And then after you do that, whatever you are going through right now, whether it is good or bad or or troubling or peaceful, I want you to ask for wisdom that God will be seen in your actions. And whatever it is that you need to have wisdom about, just ask that God will grant you that wisdom. If you guys want to come on up, if I can speak, go ahead. Yeah.
Lord, we thank you so much that you have sent your son to die for us and that it's because of that blood and that love that we can come to you and that we can be an outgrowth of your character, God. And I thank you for the love that connection shows and the love of its people, God. I ask that in times of, in life, in just life in general, that, that you will grant us wisdom because your wisdom is true and your wisdom is, is what we need to do in life, to have life to the fullest. It's in your son's name we pray, Lord. Amen.